if you're an entrepreneur in my book, you're already doing philanthropy. Like, of mm -hmm. course, it's great to always give more than that if you have surplus cash, of course. But I just think that 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 um, sometimes people don't have that perspective. They think, oh, they're just making all this money and, you know, yeah, look yeah. at me. I'm not making that much money. We each have our own gift to give and yours is unique. What reality you want to create? That's your choice, always. No one can take that from you. All right, everybody, uh, this is Calvin Corelli. I'm here with my buddy Omar, Omar Zenum, who is, how do you pronounce your last name, Omar? Yeah, exactly, Zenum. Zenum, yeah. there you go. Um, Omar is the, the founder, CEO of Webinar Ninja. We've connected through a uh, coaching program called SAS Academy with Dan Martell. Uh, Dan is freaking awesome. Do you like Dan? Love Dan, love Dan. Love Dan. a lot of time for Dan, yeah. Yeah, Dan. Dan is fantastic. Dan, Dan is phenomenal. So, so grateful to Dan for for connecting the two of us. And like, I've I've met you through that forum several times. We we also met uh, in Nashville um, yeah. at a another event. And um, yeah, you just always struck me as someone that had this sense of of clarity, calmness, uh, like inner power around about you, which is. I wanted to go explore that because I'm. I bet you that probably wasn't always there. There's a there's a there's a story there. So that's that's what I want to dive into today. Um, but to start, would you mind just telling people a little bit about who you are, what you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Omar Zenholm. Uh, I'm the co-founder and CEO of a software company called Webinar Ninja, which is a webinar platform for people that want to run live events, recorded events, things like that. I also have a podcast called The $100 MBA Show. It's kind of brought me into the online world is that that podcast as well as the program called The $100 MBA, which is daily business lessons. I basically teach the basics of business so people could have the confidence to be able to grow their business on their own without going to business school. Beyond that, <laughs> my parents are Egyptian. They migrated from Egypt to the States in the late 60s. So I grew up you know, as with immigrant parents in the US, which I feel like informed a lot of my life. Uh, I, I probably didn't realize it until later in life, but you know, growing up in that kind of environment where they've sacrificed so much to, to move to a better life, to move to a, a new country where they have to basically relearn everything, new language, new everything. My mom had to get her degree all over again because they didn't recognize her degree, uh, her dietitian degree back in, the, in Egypt. Mm. So just growing up in that environment requires you to be grateful, requires you to you know, not take things for granted. They reminded you all the time, like, hey, we didn't come here to waste time. You better get good grades. You better you know, mm. do your homework. You better you know, don't get into trouble, all that kind of stuff. So that voice is still in my head every day, that kind of uh, Where in America of, did you grow up? I grew up in New York, Long Island, New York. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of Egyptian immigrants would come to the East Coast. Yeah, so it was just it was just it's uh, an interesting, interesting upbringing. Yeah, it's interesting with the the whole immigrant thing, right? Like, um, I'm I'm I guess I'm not even an immigrant. I'm technically a, a visitor, a temporary visitor here on a visa. Um, but there is some some like there seems to be like an energy around immigrants that like work harder, strive harder, more hungry, strive strive more, right? I have this idea that this is like, we're getting off on a tangent here, but it's just so interesting to me that one of the purposes of a country is to create good people, right? Like to, to like with education and the culture and everything like, and I'm just like, is how, how is America doing on that? <laughs> right? It's like, it seems like there's something where like immigrants bring something that kind of gets bred out of people 
in America. Is that just me? Um, I think that that is definitely true uh, to, to some degree. Um, I think one of the things I grew up with that I think a lot of my uh, maybe friends and, and classmates in school didn't have is perspective. I have a lot of perspective mm-hmm. growing up. You know, I, I know what poverty looks like because, you know, we, I went back to Egypt for a visit when I was seven years old and kids my age are begging on the street. And, you know, it, it's just it, that that's when you're exposed to that at a young age, you realize, wow, even if I don't have the latest sneakers, you know, at school, uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm all right. Like things are going to be okay. Um, so just growing up with that kind of perspective, understanding that like a lot of people have it a lot worse than you and that you have an opportunity here in an environment that's safe, that's clean. You know, a lot of people don't re- like, I don't want to put a downer on this podcast, but a lot of people don't realize that people have it really rough in other parts of the world where they literally mm-hmm. have to worry about bombs falling on their head and, right. um, and they're in, in, in serious situations where like their own safety is in risk. Most mm-hmm. of us in the West grow up and live a life where we never question our safety, you never worry about something horrible happening to my family, you know? So mm-hmm. uh, just, grow, I mean, just growing up with that kind of perspective, understanding it could be a whole lot worse, understanding that, you know, I have an opportunity here in the U.S. to do something growing up in my family. And just also my parents, they, they migrated when they were in their 20s. So they acclimated very quickly and they assimilated in the U.S. culture. But at the same time, you know, we, you know, we're very much into our own culture, Egyptian culture and Arabic, and we le- learned at home and all that kind of stuff. So I, I, when, when you're growing up in the environment, you learn to kind of live two types of people, two types of personalities, understanding that, hey, sometimes you got to be, you know, the good Egyptian boy in the Egyptian culture. And sometimes you have to, you know, be the, you know, outgoing American young man that's in school, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. that's very handy when you're growing up where you, you're in different situations and you have to adapt. Got it. Yeah, I can see that. And was that, was that a conscious switch for you? Like, I'm going to put on this role, I'm going to put on that role. And sometimes if you're in an American context, you put on the Egyptian, e- Egyptian personality because it's really advantageous in that situation. Is that kind of like that? Uh, yeah, you're more aware of it when you get older because you start seeing patterns and things like that. Okay, this works kind of with my aunties, but... You know, mm. um, at school, nobody knows what pita bread is. So I'm not going to be mentioning pita bread. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know? yeah, yeah. I had when I was in, in high school, I, I changed high schools between the first and the second year. And I took that as an opportunity to deliberately reinvent myself. Right. I didn't like how I was being perceived. I didn't like the role I was playing at the old school, moved to the new school. And just I got to play a completely different role. It was very powerful. Tell me about. So and now you live in Australia, right? And so, new environment. Totally. Right? So you you've lived on three different continents. Are you? No, you haven't really lived in Egypt, but you 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 have family yeah. there. You visit. You have culture there, right? Yeah. And I spent a good amount of time living in Dubai as well. So um, hmm. that that was a totally different experience as well. Different culture, different language, different everything. And it's just uh, yeah. So I, I kind of enjoy being an expat. I enjoy learning uh, different cultures, even if Australian culture is not as different as American culture, but um, it, you you grow as a person. And what I realize is when I go back home to visit um, family or things like that, you know, things don't change much back home because they're in the same environment they grew up all their life and they never really kind of challenge themselves. And I feel like I've grown a lot. So they always right. tell me, oh, you, you've changed, you've grown, you've, you're different. And I was just like, oh, really? Like, and it's you're just like, because you I try put myself it. a different... It's kind of yeah. cool. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what was what was like what was your sort of big turning point in order to become who you are today? Yeah, that's a good question. Um 
I don't know if it was one turning point, but growing up, I was very close to my mother. My mother really gave me some really solid advice. She was a very tough woman. I don't even remember ever seeing my mom cry, um, <laughs> which mm. sounds strange, but uh, she was just, she had to be tough. You know, she had to raise three kids with, you know, my dad was around, of course, but he was working all day. Like, I don't think I formally met my dad until I was 18 or something like that because he's working, you know, seven days wow, a week. Yeah. You know, trying to trying to make ends meet for our family and and make sure that we have the education we need and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, some of the advice that I always remember from my mom growing up, and it really has helped me even till today. You know, because business is up up and down roller coaster. Is that you know you should always expect things to go wrong. Don't and it's not a pessimistic way of looking things. It's kind of a mm-hmm. way of saying like if if you're not caught by surprise, then you often when we think bad things happen and we're caught by surprise, we, we act really emotionally, we react, we get stressed mm-hmm. out, we often start scrambling. But if you kind of expect and, and understand that, hey, everybody goes through problems, it's never going to be always great. You know, you got to have ups and downs. So when the downs do come, you're kind of like, okay, this is normal. You're not being yourself up and you're able to kind of just calmly take care of the situation and try to um, so it's like emotionally preparing for the for difficulties. Yeah, yeah. You know, like um, I remember when I was I loved basketball growing up. It was my favorite sport. I still love basketball. I still play recreationally. But I got cut from my freshman team. I didn't. I wasn't. I didn't make my freshman team, and I was so disappointed because I really wanted to play basketball at the high school level. You know, it was my first year in high school, and you know, my mother just told me, you know, hey, you just got to get better. You know, just try to practice, things like that. You know, she didn't tell, she didn't blame the coach or blame, uh, you know, go and write a letter to the school or something like that. No, she was just like, you're not good enough. You know, you gotta, you gotta get better. And that <laughs> kind of stuck to me. Yeah. 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 No trophies for, for not making the cut. Yeah. I, I, I'm a huge fan of that. Let's just like, let's just be honest. Like, I mean, yeah, this is a competition and you either make the cut or you don't. Right. And, um, not, 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 it's just, yeah, it's how it is. And it's okay to feel bad about it and then back up on the horse and, and, uh, work harder. Yeah. One of the things I found very helpful for me, especially in entrepreneurship and just managing a business is reading biographies, like just reading, like, for example, uh, just what is the biography that I absolutely love? Oh, uh, shoe dog by Phil Knight. Right. Yeah. That's um, that's just one example. Or if you read like you know, Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson or things like that, right? The thing that you read, the pattern you see every time you read a biography of anybody that has done anything of any significance is that this is hard. Like they go through hell. Like it's really, really hard. And they go through a lot of pain, a lot of situations where like, you know, most people would have given up already. Mm -hmm. Um, And it begs the question as you're reading it, are you, are you willing to deal with that? Are you, what, what are you willing to, put up with in order to get that kind of success. Um, and of course, there's levels and there's shades of gray and all that kind of stuff. But the point here is a lot of people, they see these these successful people and they think, oh, you know, they must be brilliant, they must be smart, they must be lucky. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is they, they go through a lot of grind for 20 plus years before they even see any success, which, right, which right. to me is a great way to kind of get perspective. Yeah. Something I loved about Shoe Doc too is how he talks about it, it seems like he's he's he he trusts himself and his his intuition about things a lot right he's like no i yeah this is this feels right and that we need to stay at the course or go in go this way and that plays a big role and also at, to at, at the end where he's like 
now they're huge company and very successful and if he could he would go over and live the hard times again right yeah. everything that was painful about it he would love to be able to live that over again isn't that interesting right. it is but i actually think it's relatable like you know right. i look back i mean I'm, I'm not looking back at after succeeding at that level but if i even just look back at when i didn't you know have you know maybe a comfortable lifestyle i maybe it was you know, I reminisce with Nicole, my wife sometimes is like, oh, I remember those days when like, you know, we would go and get a, you know, 50 cents chips from the corner store and whatever, get a, right. get a little like uh, taco from the taco stand. And, and that, and that was kind of like a fun night out, you know, like it wasn't, mm -hmm. and it was simple and yeah, and we were just trying to make things mean, trying to, you know, we we're struggling at the time, trying to build something. Um, right. But there's a sweetness to the struggle. There's a sweetness totally to the simplicity right. of it. Yeah. And like that, that when you're, when you're in that moment and you're just, you can't wait for it to be over, right? Just, it's good to remind yourself, no, you're like five years from now, 10 years from now, it was just like a month from now, you're going to look back and wish that you could be back in that moment when it was tough and it was a struggle. Uh, yeah. I had, I went through a divorce in um, 2011 and that was a like very painful moment. Three months of intense pain. I have two kids with my ex-wife. I live in New York. They live in Denmark and Copenhagen still. They're 12 and 14 now. Back then they were three and six, like very young and, and super painful. I'd walk down the street and just burst into tears crying. And it was like very, so raw. And I was like, oh my God, this is like intense, right? This is like so much feeling. And after like one day it was kind of gone and I was back to normal and I was like, damn it, if I'd known that it would pass like this, I would have savored it more, right? I would have enjoyed it more. And I did enjoy it to some extent, but just that rawness and that aliveness, you don't, we don't get to feel that too often, right? Some a lot of change really happens beautiful. in those moments, yeah. Yeah. Lot, yeah. We can feel life, right? It's so easy to get into the rut of life and just like you get up and you do the thing, blah, 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 and like, what are you really feeling, right? Are you really, do you really feel alive here? Yeah, yeah. That's true, and and understanding like is, is what I'm going through right now, uh, really that special. Like sometimes we feel like, oh, this is like happening only to me. It's probably happening to you know millions of people at the same exact moment. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 So what like what are you most proud of having created in your business or your life? Oh, that's a that's a really good question. You know, I, for me if I retired right now, or if, if I fast forward to like when I'm in my rocking chair at 80, I probably be most proud of the fact that, uh, yes, you know, I had a successful business. Yes. I, you know, helped people with my podcast, but I think the thing that I'm most proud of is, and your podcast is super popular, right? Yeah. Which, which I've been really fortunate to be able to do and just be consistent with. But I think the impact is beyond just like, okay, I, you made some money and you're able to kind of grow a team and all that kind of stuff. For me, I, we, me and the team understand that, yes, we're a webinar software, but we enable people to be able to uh, sell the products, be able to put food on the table, be able to, you know, um, grow their business, maybe even just like discover something new for themselves that they maybe want to get into, maybe, you know, follow a passion, things like that. And to be able to kind of break down the barrier of technology and allow people to to connect with their audience and grow with their audience through webinars. You know, I know that sounds kind of geeky, but I, we get tons of emails, people saying like, thank you so much. You make it so much easier for us to do this. And it'd be really mm -hmm. hard to do this without your software. 
Um, so for mm-hmm. me, it, that that's kind of the biggest thing. It's just being able to empower people that aren't able to code, unable to like put these pieces together. You know, uh, people that I I know, like people, my mom and my sisters, and all that, they're they're at that level of technology where they're just like looking for a button to press. But so for right. me, that that's kind of my biggest accomplishment is just being able to help people do what they love for a living. Um, right. So that that's been great. That's amazing. We've looked a lot at different webinar softwares and most of it, honestly, this is just my personal opinion, is crap. And I really love what you guys have done with Webinar Ninja. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's really it's really good. Something that fascinates me too is this, you know, a lot of people are, are sort of into, you know, giving back, right? There's like my business and here I make money and then I give back. And there's nothing wrong with like obviously giving in any context, anywhere. But one of the things that I love the most is when your actual product and service or service that you make money from is your giving, right? Yeah. That is something that really yeah. opens up I have a very, have a very com- controversial take on that. Like I, I get in a lot of arguments about. So let me hear that. You know, yeah. So a lot of people, it bothers me when I see people criticize entrepreneurs online or uh, they call them greedy. You know, of course, greed exists. Of course, there's people that are making, you know, a lot of money, more money than we can imagine, and maybe not paying their fair share of taxes, all that kind of stuff. But I'll just give an example. Like somebody on Facebook could say, you know, like, oh, doesn't matter if, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is giving 90% of his wealth or whatever it is to the, you know, when he dies to, to, to non-for-profits uh, or charities. You know, he's, he's so wealthy and this guy is so greedy, you know, all that kind of stuff. So like, my perspective is is that as an entrepreneur, period, if you're an entrepreneur and you're employing people, you are already, in my book, a, a philanthropist already mm-hmm. because right. the majority of people in the world, they go to work every day and they do honest work, which is great, and they get paid, mm-hmm. but they don't help anybody else in terms of putting food on the table. They don't actually mm-hmm. employ anybody. They don't actually mm-hmm. get anybody a way to, to pay for bills. So for, for any entrepreneur, whether it's a corner store or a cafe or um, a company that employs 500 employees or whatever it is, that's 500 families are able to, you know, go to karate class and, you know, go to uh, vacations and things like that because this person, somebody started this business, created this opportunity, created these jobs and right. employed these people. Like, that's incredible. Like, most people right. can't say that. That's, that's crazy Absolutely. amazing to me. Um, and that's one of the joys of, of, of being an entrepreneur is being able to see what your business, your creation has been able to fuel for other people. Um, yeah. And so I, I'm, I'm, uh, if you're an entrepreneur in my book, you're already doing philanthropy. Like, of mm-hmm. course, it's great to always give more than that if you have surplus cash, of course. But I just think that, that, that um, sometimes people don't have that perspective. They think, oh, you're just making all this money and, you know, yeah, look yeah. at me. I'm not making that much money. No, I'm I'm with you 100%. Creating a business is available to every any one of us, right? Like if you, one of these workers is unhappy that they're not getting paid enough, like you can start your own business. You can you can do your own thing whether you know, it's like a simple online thing or bigger business employing a bunch of people. Everybody has that available to them at some level. Like everybody, you know what I'm saying, right? Like if you're if you're literally can't see and hear and talk and something you probably can't but and also, like people these days love to hate on Jeff Bezos, um, you know, for Amazon. And I'm like, I don't know the details of of his business practices, but I do know that he's made it way easier and cheaper to get a lot of goods, and that has a lot of value for society as a whole, right? Yeah. It's so much easier to get all the stuff that you need. You save time, you save money, and like, 
what is a you know what is a the total value of that to society? It's pretty big. It's pretty big. Yeah, and he gets paid for that. He captures a big part of this, you know a share of that, and that's totally fair. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah. We agree. I mean, it's 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 a tough one because a lot of people. If, if you've never started a business, it's really hard for you to understand. It's like somebody who's never had kids or somebody who's never had, had been in a relationship or something like that. Like you just don't understand the in, inner workings of what it takes to be successful. A lot of people are like, like here's another concept that I, I disagree with. A lot of people are like, you know, some businesses, they grow too big. You know, like when, it, when is it enough? You know, like that's mm-hmm. just not how business works. Like you're either growing or you're dying. Like you can't just like, okay, I'm gonna shut off the valve now, no more customers. You know, like right. y- you either continue to grow and you get that wheel going so that you can continue to expand, you can continue to employ people, and you right. can continue to give more value in the marketplace, or you are being eaten by your competition. And that's just, there's no Stacy's, you know, there's no Stacy's right, right. the same. Yeah, I'd say that, yeah, totally. And the only the only caveat I'd say to that is, you know, the too big to fail when the government ends and the taxpayers yeah. end up bailing you out. I think totally. that's that's generally something that we shouldn't do, right? If if you mismanage your company, then the company should fail. That's mm-hmm. part of being an entrepreneur. You take a risk and your company may fail, and then someone else can build a company and hopefully do better, right? Yeah. Um, or you try again and <laughs> learn from absolutely. your mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we all make them. Yeah. It's like people confuse the, the like profits as like, oh, you're making all this profit. Well, then what if we just had socialism and there was no profit and they forget the negative profits, right? <laughs> all the times that companies lose money because that's what it is. You're 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 taking a risk and you don't always win, right? You Sometimes yeah. you lose a lot. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so so talk to me about like uh, about politics because it seems like you have some opinions there. Like what is your <laughs> what is your take on it? Where do you stand? Has it changed over time? You know, I mean, I I, I don't really get too much into the weeds of the politics just because I believe that I have more influence over the way my life will will le- be led or be lived more than politicians um, or, or who's in office. Of course, they have influence. Of course, there's always things that you can learn from them. And I think that's probably more what I would really get out of politics is more like a good leader that you can le- learn from. Anybody who's been employed before, they understand that it's really hard to enjoy your job if you don't respect your manager, if you don't feel like you're learning or growing from them. Um, and I think that the same is true for a lot of people when it comes to uh, their leader, wherever it is, they are in their country. Um, they want to be able to feel like they respect them. Uh, they can learn from them. They don't have to agree with them all the time. Of course, no one's going to agree with everybody. You don't agree with your own spouse that you You don't even, chose, even agree you know? with yourself a month ago, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <year> <laughs> so it's true. So as long as you feel that sense of respect and sense of like that you're learning something from that person, I feel like that's what I get out of politics. And, you know, whether it's at the local level or it's a, at the national or global level, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's just what I my take on it. But personally, I, I just, you know, we've been through a lot of, in the U.S., we've been through so many presidents in the last 20 years or whatever it is. You know, so for me, it's just like, the, it doesn't really have a major effect. You, you have to adapt as an entrepreneur. You have to learn what's working now, won't always work tomorrow, that kind of thing. So for me, that's, that's kind of where I stand. Mm. No, it's true. It doesn't, like, people get all sort of up in arms about it and all emotional about it. But the reality, like the real day-to-day effect is 
generally fairly limited. Um, shifting gears here, I, I want to get back to sort of the, the core theme of this podcast about like your inner, your inner fire and like where that, that drive is coming from. What are, what are some of the struggles that you've been through in, in your journey to like find out who you are and have the life that you have now? Yeah. So for those who kind of uh, follow my work, I, I was a teacher for 13 years. I was a high school and then university teacher for 13 years. I was a teacher trainer. I was a you know, head of department at the university before I left. And I made a huge transition in my career into becoming a full-time entrepreneur. It was huge, but it wasn't sudden. Like I actually built businesses online for 10 years before I made that switch and all that kind of stuff and learned the hard way, made some mistakes while I was still making a salary which is something I highly recommend so for somebody who wants to get started. You're cheating. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, I had, I had no. a safety, safety net, which was good, you know, right. and I, and I but yeah. you know, one of the things about building a business on the side while you're working is that, you know, part-time efforts give you part-time results. So it's, it's hard to, to always kind of, at some point you're going to have to make that leap, but yeah, it's funny because for me, it's always been, and I, I think your strategy is smart. It's just never, ever worked for me. No, I've no, always it, been at like it has with its both limitations. feet and then yeah. like sink or swim. Um, yeah, it, it has its limitations for sure. Um, I would I would equate it to having like a part time job. Like you're gonna get part time results, and and that's kind of what I experienced. But one of the struggles I had was just the struggle of identity. Of like, mm. you know, I I dedicated my life for 13 years, uh, and even before that with my degree and all that stuff in education, being a teacher and being a fantastic. And I was great. You know, I was really good at my job and I got promotions at a teaching? very young age. I was teaching English as a second language. So I would teach immigrants that would come in and try to have to learn English to the level so mm. they could be able to uh, take their subjects in English. Um, mm. And then I quickly moved up to management and things like that. So like at 25 years old, I was managing teachers twice my age and, you know, I had to kind of grow up fast and to be, to say to myself, you know, throw that all away and start a full-time business and, and, and leave the career altogether and everything I invested, the whole sunk cost fallacy kind of kicks in and you kind of realize, well, is this a mistake? Am I, am I doing the right thing here? Is this a huge risk? Also, like, who am I now? Am I, I'm not a teacher anymore. Sunk. Like it's a big part of who you are. So I know the concept of, of sunk cost, but uh, walk me through how that plays out here. Well, you feel like I invested so much money and time and an effort building out my career, my connections, my network in teaching and education. Even if you just like you have this feeling, even if you want to change jobs, like you work at an institution, everybody knows who Omar is and what he's capable of and everybody likes you and you've already built your relationships and you know how to deal with the people that are difficult already and all that kind of stuff. Just mm -hmm. moving out of that and then moving the whole career. I got to retool totally. Like no one knows who Omar is, is in the entrepreneurship or business or online or anything like that. And I got to reestablish my name, which took years to do that in education. Mm -hmm. So all that kind of stuff was, was tough. But the moment that kind of forced me to make that transition was, you know, I was in the university I was working at, I was uh, the head of department, but I, the chair of the department uh, left and I was doing his job. I was acting chair for about a year and a half. And I was doing a fantastic job. My team was well oil the machine, everything like that. But I was like, well, a year and a half in an acting role is very long. Like you, you should be, you know, appointed the position within six months or something like that, maximum. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of got frustrated. I was like, what's going on here? Why am I not getting this position? I, you know, I'm not getting paid for it. You know, the difference of pay and I'm not getting the recognition or the, I can't actually put it on my CV. 
So I, I had a I had a meeting with my with my supervisor, the dean of the university. I said, "Hey, you know, can we sit down and have a chat?" She said, "Sure." I had this chat, and I just said, "Hey, can you just level with me? What's going on here? I've been doing this job for a year and a half, um, and uh, when am I going to get this job? You know, permanently, like it's going to be official." And she, I saw her face, and she was. I saw her for a moment. She was going to kind of like sweet talk me for a bit, but she quickly realized, like, "Hey, I just can't keep dragging this person along." And she just leveled with me and she said, you know, I know, you know, on authority that the director of the university wants to make an outside hire for this position. Um, and at that moment, I realized, man, I can work as hard as I want. I can do everything right. And I still don't have the power to navigate my future. Somebody can make a decision to hire. What a blessing, else. man. What a blessing to the world yeah. that, that happened. And now I see it as a blessing. Right. At the moment, I was just so frustrated and angry and a lot of people ask me like weren't you scared to jump into entrepreneurship and i said at that moment my frustration outgrew my fear i really mm. was so frustrated to the point yeah and i just said you know if i work so, as hard as i do so frustration job, is like is anger right so it's like you're so angry with the situation that you're like fuck this fuck that it's scary like you know mm. it, it, the anger helped help you blast through your fear it's a powerful I just felt strategy like anything right? would be better than this like like right. this feeling is so bad that even if I go out there and I fail, I fail on my own terms. And when you're that frustrated, you tend to have confidence. Like, you know, I can pull this off. I could do this, mm -hmm. you know. And I just realized mm -hmm. if I worked as hard as I do on what I do in my job, in my own business, I think I'll do all right. You know, and I'm not going to say it was, you know, uh, rainbows and sunshine from that point on. I had my own share of struggles transitioning to entrepreneurship. And, you know, one of the things I really did that really helped me in that transition is I totally lowered my expenses like I sold my car I moved to a you know a really cheap apartment I really just started to have very minimal needs to try to make sure that whatever runway I had would last as much as possible and if all else fails uh, I need to make $1,500 a month and I'll be okay you know right. so that that really helped that's amazing yeah I had a year living in India which was really helpful <laughs> oh, wow. Whereabouts <laughs> you know, in it's India? cheap in Mysore south south India okay I've never been to India I would love to explore it was a fun experience. We ended up living there a year, um, uh, but that really helped because it's a lot cheaper to live there than, say, in New York City. So yeah, yeah, I've been there. there. I used to live on uh, on McDougal Street. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right on top of Mamoon's falafel. We, we used nice. to smell falafel all day long. <laughs> I could imagine. Yeah, I like going there. Yeah. yeah, is it as good now as it was like fifteen, twenty years ago? You don't know. You Last time know. I was here, maybe five years ago, it was good. Yeah, the yeah. the baklava is really nice too. <laughs> yeah. I, w I came there in, in like 1999, 2000 um, uh, time. It was, yeah, good times back then. Um, I wanted to dive into like the identity piece a little bit more. Like, like changing identif identity from being a teacher and being in that environment um, to be seeing yourself as an entrepreneur. Like how... What was it? What was difficult about that, or how did that feel inside of you? I it felt like I was going into war with no like armor and no uh, weapons, mm. nothing. Like I'm totally naked. Like I don't know what that even looks like. You know, I don't even like it's. I think a lot of people feel that way. Did you feel like you had to pretend, or were you just like, oh yeah, guys, totally I'm naked? Yeah, I felt like. The, the problem I had is I really didn't have any examples. Like at, I, I've, I've never met 
a successful publicly known Egyptian American entrepreneur. I don't know what that looks like, you know. Hmm. So I don't have an example. Um, you know, was that I, important you know, to you, like the that heritage, that ethnicity, for example? It's not the, it's not the heritage. It's just. It's really important, I believe, in human nature to see that it's possible, to see an example of something that you can recognize and be like, oh, okay, so it is possible for, you know, somebody like me to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I quickly got over that because I realized, you know, um, it's, I, I, there's nothing that's stopping me from being successful other than myself. One of the things I what really- What made like, you realize that? Actually, it was a failed podcast. So I, ha- okay. I actually started a podcast that failed miserably. It's a mm-hmm. podcast called People Who Know Their Shit. And it was interview podcast where I interviewed people. Uh, and we had some success. We somehow finagled to get Gary Vaynerchuk on my show somehow on a phone call. But on a successful day, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't really doing as well as I wanted to. You know, for me, I wanted to have a, a, a larger following, a larger audience. I wanted the podcast to be like where I started to grow my audience and, and build my business off that. Um, I think the most successful episode we ever had was like 400 downloads in total, not even on the day of the deb- debut. Um, and what I realized, it was funny because Nicole, my my partner in life and my partner in business, we we did a cross uh, country trip from San, uh, from San Diego to New York, and we we drove because we had a whole bunch of equipment. Nicole was doing some videography work at the time, and we had to do a gig, and we had all this equipment with us, and we're like. We had some time, so we just had the open road, and we were thinking, why is this not working? Why is the podcast, you know, absolute shit? You know, why are we not doing well? And it just dawned upon me in somewhere around Oklahoma or something like that, where it's just like, you know, I'm not good at interviewing. This is not my this is not my wheelhouse. You know, I'm not I'm not mm. good at that. What am I good at? I'm like, I'm actually really good at teaching. I taught for 13 mm-hmm. years. I've you know five t- five times a day. People don't realize teachers teach five classes every single day or. I like to call, we used to do five matinees a day because you're basically performing, right? Mm-hmm. Every single day for 13 years. And I realized, oh my God, like, and I used to, I used to get annoyed when I used to listen to other people's podcasts that used to teach or used to watch online courses. Like, man, this person doesn't know how to teach. What are you talking about? Like, this is not how you're supposed to, you know, mm. check for comprehension or make sure that people are, uh, are, are, are listening great questions and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, okay, what can I do to, to use my superpower? I have a leg up on some other people on this, in the podcast world, being a teacher. And, you know, Nicole is a big fan of Coffee Break French and Coffee Break Spanish, which is a language learning podcast. It's a daily podcast. And she said, you know, that would be cool if like you did something like that, but with business. And I said, oh, that's a good idea. Maybe, maybe we can do daily business lessons, just short 10 minute business lessons, uh, something very specific. Uh, like how to hire a first employee or something like that. And we do it every single day and see how it goes. Um, and for me, that was kind of the moment where I stopped denying my past. I stopped denying that, hey, I am a teacher. I am, this is my skill. This mm. is who I am. But now I'm just going to use it in entrepreneurship. Now I'm going to use it to sell. Mm. I'm going to use it to promote. I'm going to use it to build my podcast. Um, mm. And then when we launched the podcast, immediately, immediately the results were there because it's such a different type of podcast. People, never, you know, most people are not used to learning business lessons and it's short. And uh, at the, it was 2014 when we launched like six years ago. But, but for me, that was kind of like the aha moment. Like I don't need to throw away my past in order to be successful in the future. That's a super powerful lesson. I see, I see a lot about a lot and I've done it myself where you like, Oh, I don't want to do that more. Like this is the new shiny object and I want to do that. Right. And the success always comes from building on the success you already have. Um, 
that's just yeah that's the that's the way to do it and you know we do software simplero software for coaches and and teachers and trainers and uh, and so on uh, speakers and authors and all that and like i see people who jump into coaching and then they come from a background as a nurse and i'm like well maybe bring that into it right and like work with totally. nurses or like bring your experience from from being a nurse into your into your coaching business it's always um way more powerful but so so like so what i'm hearing you say is that your identity went from being a teacher to being oh i think i need to be an entrepreneur to like oh how about i'm both and put them together is that kind of yeah exactly yeah? yeah and and understanding that my advantage is my experience my advantage is like mm -hmm. it's quite unique to have somebody to come from the teaching background you know and i was a teacher trainer as well so I, I uh, and I actually specialize in classroom management, which works perfectly because there is a, a sense of classroom management that you need to do on a webinar, like being able to set some guidelines and tell them how to ask questions and, and make sure you're interacting in the chat and make sure you're manning the kind of the room. Um, and all that kind of stuff comes into play from, from my teaching days, which, which is th these principles are, are timeless. So it really has right. helped me. Oh, that's awesome. So who are your mentors today? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Well, you know, we both work with Dan uh, from SAS Academy, so I'll reach out from time to time if I need some uh, advice on our business, especially when it comes to, you know, um, growing and scaling and things like that. He has a lot of experience with that. Dan Martin, um, yeah. One of my favorite people in this world is a man named Michael Port. Michael Port is a, mm. he's an author, New York Times bestseller, but he's also the co-founder of an organization called uh, Heroic Public Speaking. He's He's one of the best him and his wife, Amy Port, they're one of the best uh, public speaking coaches I've ever met. And I got the privilege to work with them and, and get to know them and they're close friends. Um, but he's, he's always really been there for me just to be a sounding board, to kind of give me a different perspective. You know, he's, he's uh, about five or six years older than me and, and has seen a lot of success in his business. He's done business consulting. He has a great book, a Wall Street Journal bestseller called um, Book Yourself Solid. So he's always kind of has a nice little kind of way to I'll get on a call with him and he'll be like, you know what, try this, try that. What, like, you know, have you thought about this? And in a positive way, because he comes from actually an acting background. He used to be an actor and mm -hmm. that's why he teaches public speaking because he infuses improv and things like that into public speaking. And uh, he, he has that uh, culture of yes and of like, okay, mm -hmm. that's a great yeah. idea, but what about this too? Have what you done improv? Else? Uh, I've did a bit, yeah, with my speaking, mm. uh, public speaking training and things like that. It's a lot of fun, yes. um, and it yeah. always, it's it's a reflection of life, really, because like you have to kind of think on your feet all the time. Right. Um, yeah, I did some yeah. I did some improv here classes here in New York when I first moved here. It was uh, huh. it was fun. That's fun. Yeah, it's a lot of good yeah. stuff. How did that uh, relationship build with Michael? That's a great question. <laughs> so Michael, so I, I always saw Michael as just like this really successful, you know famous person, right? Um, you know, he, he was actually a real actor. Like he was in the Pelican Brief and he was uh, in Sex and the City, a regular person on Sex and the City and things like that. And I was like, and then he started his business and a consulting company and he's a great author. Then he started whole Public Speaking, all that kind of stuff. Um, one time, uh, a friend of mine named John Corcoran, John Corcoran is one of, the, one of those friends of yours that's really connected, knows everybody, right? Mm. And he just sent out a message and said, hey, um, Michael Port is doing a creative live up in San Francisco on public speaking and they need some people in the audience 
to be students and participate. It's going to take three or four days. At the time, you know, Nicole and I had some free time. We're like, hey, let's let's give this a try. You know, we need to improve our public speaking. You know, we want to get on more stages, things like that. So we, we, we were living in San Diego at the time when we drove up to San, San Francisco. And uh, we just took the, we took the class. We were one of the students. But John also lived in San Francisco, and he invited me to dinner with with Michael Port. And we had dinner. We had sushi that night. And, you know, we just we just talked. And, you know, I was quite quiet in the dinner. But, you know, we just kind of got along. And then uh, another time after that, like maybe a few months after that, uh, a mutual friend of Michael's and I uh, invited me to have dinner in L.A. We had dinner. And then that's when we kind of got to know each other on that dinner. We talked a little bit. He asked me what I was doing and the software I was building. He talked about his work. And I was, you know, told him how much his work influenced me. And, and he never kind of treated me like we weren't equals. He always treated mm-hmm. me like he had something to learn from me and he found mm-hmm. me interesting. And I, I immediately, you know, felt that from him. Um, and there was just a moment in, in, in the conversation where, where we're like towards the end of the night and he was like, you know, Omar, I really like you. Like, how can I help you out? And I was like, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. It's like, I just said, Hey, I have this software called webinar ninja. You know, would you love to like give it a try? Maybe you think it'd be good for your audience. And he's like, how about we do a webinar together? And uh, I, invite, I invite my audience and uh, we, we do something together for my audience and they can see the software in action and maybe they can sign up. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, like, uh, that's awesome. We have an affiliate program if you want. He's like, no, no, I, I don't do this for affiliate program. <laughs> like, I don't need the commission. Not I don't need, but I don't really want the commission. I just want to help you out because you seem like a good mm-hmm. person. And I just I never kind of met somebody who's just genuinely that generous right. and that successful. And probably they work hand in hand. Um, and then we ran that webinar and it kind of helped me get, get the software off the ground. And really, he just really was supportive at the time uh, when I really needed it, you know, when I really needed it. And he was just super kind to me. Um, and um, I've never seen uh, him being any less generous every single time I speak to him. So he's, he's, he's been a fantastic friend and a mentor. That's amazing. That's amazing. What's the, what's the best sort of piece of advice that he's given you? Oh, boy. he's giving me a lot of advice um one of them that i feel so he's very protective of his own life his own family when i say protective i mean like he understands that that's important i need to make sure that i covet my family i spend time with them i spend time for myself i make time for reading i make time for uh just getting enough sleep all that kind of stuff uh, and that no business is worth you sacrificing those things. You need to balance those things. You need to understand that, yes, you want to be successful, but you can be successful in two years instead of nine months, you know, and try to have a more enjoyable two years and have a more uh, balanced and healthy two years. One of the things that he's taught me is just how important health is. Like, you know, um, you don't want to work, 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 work and get to a point where you can't even enjoy what you work for. Um, and, and that's something that's really hard to see when you're younger. Um, you know, now that I'm 40, I realize every day that, you know, you know, yesterday is always going to feel better than tomorrow. <laughs> you know, those, 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 those knees and those, those aches and all that stuff. But, you know, luckily I'm in good shape right now, but uh, you want to kind of maintain that. And if you don't do that, if you don't make it a priority, um, mm-hmm. unfortunately it's, uh, it's going to suffer. You're going to suffer in the, in, in the long run. Yeah. All right. 
Um, this has been, I've, I've really loved this conversation. Unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap, wrap up. I've got um, sort of two final questions. One is where can people follow you, stay in touch? Um, WebinarNinja.com, obviously. Um, go there, check it out. Use that uh, webinar software. What else? Yeah, so I'm not a big social media guy. Like I'm on social, I have profiles. Um, I don't know why it's just not something that I just don't have time for it or I, maybe I just feel like it's a rat race to constantly mm -hmm. be posting and all that kind of stuff. But the one that I, I do frequent the most is Twitter. So if you ever want to check me out or follow me, it's uh, the Omar Zenhome on Twitter. Great. And then what is the number one thing that you want to leave people with? to remember, take away from this conversation? Uh, I, I always feel like whatever you're trying to do in life, whether it's uh, your career, whether it's business, whether it's family, being a good dad, being a good brother, uh, have a long-term approach. Like it's very easy to be hard on yourself if you feel like you need to be perfect right away. And no one's perfect. No one's going to get to perfection. We strive for that, but we try our best to just, you know, understand that as long as we're getting better little by little every day, if I can look back and say, I'm proud of my progression, that's all you really need to worry about. A lot of us, we don't look backwards. We always kind of just look forward and tomorrow, 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 we don't really like look back and say, oh man, maybe I need to be thankful and pat myself on the back and say, hey, I did, I did some pretty cool things in life. You know, mm -hmm. So have a long-term approach and, uh, and don't be so hard on yourself. Yeah. Thank you so much, Omar. This is really, really insightful, enlightening. I really, I learned something. I took a lot away from this conversation. I really appreciate you um, showing up here early morning uh, for this. Thanks, Calvin. I really appreciate it. It was, it was fun chatting. Thank you for listening to the podcast episode. After 20 years as a serial entrepreneur, it's my passion to bring you ideas and insights from some of the best entrepreneurs, leaders, and thinkers in the world straight to your phone. We're going to be launching many, many more podcast episodes in the future, so please subscribe and leave a five-star review if you found any value at all from today's conversation. Your reviews and feedback mean the world to me. 